Welcome to the Wow Community Jokes. I'm convinced that there are two types of people when it comes to going through a drive-thru window at a restaurant. There are those who know exactly what they want as soon as they pull up to the speaker, and there are those who decide to look at the entire menu and think about their decision once arriving at the speaker. That's it. Two types. It's like, welcome to McDonald's. McDonald's. <laughs> welcome to McDonald's. How can I help you? And it's like, hmm, I just need a minute to think about it. And I'm sitting there thinking, what do you mean you need a minute to think about it? We've had five minutes while we've been waiting to get to the speaker. And I think I just showed my cards there that this scenario reflects Amanda and I to a T. Because every time we go through a drive-through, I know what I want. In fact, if you actually even just told me the restaurant, I would already know what I'm going to get. If you said, hey, Ken, let's go to Harvey's original cheeseburger with onion rings. If it's McDonald's, Big Mac. Swish LA, quarter chicken white with fries. Like, okay, maybe I eat out a bit too much, but I just know. I'm like, yeah, I like it. I'm gonna order it. But Amanda likes to take her time, maybe try something new. So we pull up to the speaker and she's like, hmm, let me just think. And I'm like, we've been to Tim Hortons so many times. How do you not know what you're gonna order? And we've been waiting for five minutes. <laughs> now, she does know that I was gonna share about this tonight, so this isn't blindsiding her to hear this, but aside from the fact that I eat out way too much, what's funny is that if someone were to ask me larger life questions, such as kind of where do I see myself in five years, or what vision do I have, or what are some of the deeper longings I want to accomplish throughout my life, I would need some time. Like, I would need some serious time to, to think about it, to reflect, to process it, but on the other hand, Amanda, if you were to ask her some of those things, she would know. She would be able to articulate it fairly well and fairly quickly that this is what I want in my life. This is where I see God at work. And to be honest, I'll admit she's just much more reflective and contemplative than I am. But you see, last week we talked about creating space in our life in order to discern the next right thing and to pay attention and to recognize where God was at work. And that speaks to me because that is hard work for me. It's funny because I'm a pastor and I get paid to do this somewhat. And uh, I still find it challenging to slow myself down and to reflect on those deeper questions and what it is I truly want and where it is God's leading and what he's inviting me into. But that's why I'm so passionate to share this with you because it's stuff that I'm continually learning. You see, as we journey together to cultivate this, this simple and soulful practice of just simply doing the next right thing, I realize that we need to wrestle with the question of what do you want? Because you see, if we can't articulate what we want, then how do we even know what the next right thing even is? Are we being reactive or are we being proactive? So right off the bat, I'm sure some of you felt this impulse because it came up in me to say, whoa, 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 this isn't about what I want. No, 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 this is about what Jesus wants. It, it's not about me, it, it can't be about me. It, it's about loving God and loving others, right? Sometimes we emphasize that so much that we forget that 
it requires us to love God and to love others. That Jesus says, you must love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, for some of us, myself included, over time, we've continued to push down, to suppress our desires, our wants, our dreams in order to serve others. But you see, while there's a time for that, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that, I believe that in general, many of us have lost a sense of who we are as we're trying to live right with Christ. But you see, it's a bit absurd because Jesus, he tells us who we are. Jesus shows us our true self. Jesus helps bring out the best in us so that we can love God and love others. Jesus, through his spirit, he empowers us to be able to do things that we simply can't do on our own. A relationship with Jesus ought to make you more loving. It, a relationship with Jesus ought to help you fall more deeply in love with God. And yes, help you to love your neighbor. But it starts with you. To help me explain this, we're going to look in the Gospel of Mark. It's the second book in our New Testament. You see, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and they all tell us an account of Jesus' life. And they all have different nuances. And Regardless, though, Mark has a mes message to share. And it's not simply that God exists. You see, people back then and people even today, they, they already believe in, that, in a God or perhaps many gods. But you see, Mark's message is that God is right here, right now. He's on our side and he's actively seeking to help us in the way we most need help. Mark is in a hurry to tell us about Jesus. Or as Emily Freeman puts it, the action of God in the person of Jesus is recorded for us in scripture. I love that. So Mark tells us a story about Jesus and a man named Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. And this man is blind. But I want us to pay attention to both Bartimaeus and to Jesus. So let's dig in. Mark chapter 10 verse 46. They came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. There's an order to this story. There, there's a bit of a motif here. And surprisingly, it doesn't start with Jesus. It starts with a stillness. 
You see, how did Bartimaeus know that Jesus would be there? Did he just happen to be on the side of the Jericho Road? Was this his regular spot for begging? Were the people in the crowd used to seeing him on the side of the road? Or did Bartimaeus have a plan knowing that Jesus would leave the city that exact way? Had he heard the stories that were circulating about this man, the son of David, the child of Mary and Joseph, the son of God? Bartimaeus was blind. He, he couldn't see. He couldn't watch for Jesus in the distance and see him coming. He had to wait and he had to sit still. You see, Bartimaeus had to depend and rely on the murmurs and the mumblings of the crowd around him. He had to pay attention to the runoff conversation that was meant for other people. Can you see it? For Bartimaeus, there was a stillness. We read in the Psalms, Be still and know that I am God. But this is hard, isn't it? Whew. In our day and age, we have so many things on the go and so many things to keep us connected and efficient just so we can get more done and add more side hustles and now throw in a pandemic because, heck, life wasn't crazy enough. But we hear God's voice saying, be still and know that I am God. And we witness Bartimaeus, a man who can't see, being still and waiting for Jesus. So as we continue to cultivate the practice of doing the next right thing, I believe the first order of things, picking up from last week, is that we need to be still. We need to slow down and recognize where God is. We need to slow down and recognize where we are, and then we need to slow down and recognize where these two intersect. We need to cultivate an inner stillness. Larry Crabb in his book, Real Church, writes, God meets us where we are, not where we pretend to be. I love that because there's no use pretending that, that you're over here or you're doing this right or you've got this perfect. Just be where you are and let Jesus meet you there. Now, for those of you who are doers, the let's get her done type, this is going to be extremely hard. Like, you're, I can just hear it now. Like, we can't sit still forever. Like, that's how I was raised. I'm from a family of doers. And it's like, we, we can't just sit here forever. We got to take some action. And you're right. But the stillness makes way for the knowing. And it's the knowing that makes way for the doing. You see, it's like a tripod of, of sitting still to cultivate your being and then you're knowing and you're doing. And you need all three legs on a tripod or else it falls over. But here's the paradox. We need to be still to attune ourselves with God, but we're also part of this community known as the church. And we've been told to go and make disciples. This isn't an individual endeavor. It's not the me and Jesus moment and I'm just gonna sit still forever. This is a communal practice that we're invited into. It's this posture of stillness so we understand and know who we are, so it will transform us as we go out and do. But it starts with stillness. It starts with you. 
The best analogy I can think of is it's like the oxygen masks on an airplane. And the, the flight attendants always say that in case of an emergency, the oxygen masks will drop down and before you help anyone else, to put it on yourself first. Put the band around, make sure it's snug, tug it, get the oxygen flowing, make sure it's working, and then help others. You see, the reason that it begins with us isn't just for our own egos to give us big heads. No, it's, it's so that we'll be transformed by the presence of God. When God says, be still and know that I am God, it's to sit still in the presence of God and allow his presence to transform you. Which brings up another tension that I've been wrestling lately and is the second part of this motif. Choose your absence. You see, Kevin DeYoung in his book, Crazy Busy, writes this. The biggest deception of our digital age may be the lie that says we can be omnicompetent, omnifocused, and omnipresent. We must choose our absence, our inability, and our ignorance, and choose wisely. Choose your absence. This might sound counterintuitive, but the reason we must choose our absence is so that we can actually be present to what matters most. Like I shared with you in previous weeks, I've chosen to be absent from social media so I can be more present with my family and friends and our church family because social media was draining me. You see, we have to choose our absence because over time, all of our yeses, all of the things we've said yes to, the opportunities that have presented themselves, they've taken a toll on us. They've chipped away at us and they've so slowly developed our decision fatigue and they've slowly cultivated this lack of true presence in our life. So you see, we choose our absence in order to be present and to pay attention to our inner spirit, to the Holy Spirit. There's an interesting tension between absence and presence. Choosing to be absent allows you to be present elsewhere. But just because someone's absent doesn't mean they're not present at all. Let me explain. For example, my kids are absent right now so I can be present with you or else it would just be a gong show in this house. But yet their presence is very much alive and felt in this house. There's a stain on the carpet and dirty dishes in the sink that I've shoved off screen. There are dirt patches under their swing in what I used to take such careful pride and joy in my yard and lawn and I don't know what I'm saying but my kids are absent so I can be present but their presence is still felt or like when there's an event coming up that you wish you could be at and you respond saying sorry I can't be there but I will be with you in spirit so you won't be there but you will be there and we all know exactly what you mean or when you're gathered around the Thanksgiving table or the Christmas table and the presence of loved ones who have died are still with us. They've left, but they're still here. Of course, 
They're with us in spirit. You see, their absence is a form of presence. And in John's gospel, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away, absence. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, presence. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see, as you practice choosing your absence, which is a practice of discernment, you'll discover that you are more present to what matters most. As you practice choosing absence, you'll be more aware of the presence of Jesus and of the Spirit within you, beside you, behind you, and before you. And He will remind you of what truly matters. Choosing your absence is about living attentive, paying attention. But if we get this in the wrong order and we look outward before moving inward, before being still and choosing our absence and presence, then more often than not, it will add to the stress and the distraction in our lives in ways we never intended. You see, allow the absence to make Jesus' presence known. So going back to the Bartimaeus story, you have Bartimaeus sitting on the side of the Jericho Road, and as he sits there in the stillness, he is present to his surroundings, and suddenly he recognizes that Jesus is approaching. He begins shouting, hoping his voice would be heard. The crowd, they're annoyed, they're offended, they're trying to shame him and quiet him, but suddenly Jesus stops walking. Regardless of what was happening around him, Jesus' ear was sensitive to the person on the side of the road. I love that because no matter where you find yourself in this story, Jesus' ear is attentive to the person who sits on the side of the road. Regardless of what was happening around him, Jesus cared for the least of these. And before he knew it, Bartimaeus was standing in the presence of God. Bartimaeus was standing face to face with Jesus. And Jesus simply asks Bartimaeus a question, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus knows how this question requires focus and clarity. It requires an awareness, a knowing of yourself, your true self, your inner longings. It requires a stillness, and I believe it requires a spiritual hunger. What do you want? Ruth Haley Barton in her book Sacred Rhythms writes, Jesus routinely asked people questions that help them get in touch with their desire and name it in his presence. I believe that this is one of the greatest invitations that we're still invited to do today, to name our desires before Jesus. You see, to name that which might be unnamed within us. Sometimes a particular decision that we're carrying feels difficult because there are things beneath the surface, things that remain unnamed, things you either haven't acknowledged or you would rather ignore. But without a name, we can't be specific. And if I've learned anything throughout my years, it's that fear loves nonspecifics. Fear loves to take the ambiguous and the generalities and the what-ifs and just run rampant 
Like, it's crazy. Fear dwells on this stuff. And it increases our anxiety. And this is why I love Jesus' question, because he says, what do you want? Name it. Bring it up. Tell me. Trust me with it. And he doesn't offer a promise of fulfillment. I don't believe that's the point. Instead, Bartimaeus, without the benefit of being able to even see Jesus' face, he had to depend on his other senses during his encounter with Jesus to discern whether or not he could trust him. And so do we. Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus, which Jesus later calls an act of faith. And Jesus simply asks, what do you want? What is it that you want? Do you know? Did, did something come racing to your mind as soon as I asked the question? Have you named it? Have you brought it before Jesus? Have, have you trusted him in the vulnerability of naming it? If you can't trust Jesus, who can you trust with it? Or are you afraid to go there? Do you, do you feel like it's too silly or too frivolous or too selfish to really name what you want? Oh no, Jesus, let, let's not talk about me. Others have greater needs. Jesus is inviting you to name your desires, to name what you want as an act of faith, to name what you want as a step towards discerning the next right thing. Now, Bartimaeus didn't say it as an ultimatum, like, I have to see or else. He simply said that that is what he wanted, and he left the next step to Jesus. And this is my invitation to you tonight. Talk to Jesus. Tell him what you want. Be still. Choose your absence so you can be present with Christ. Name that which is unnamed within you. And remember that knowing what you want and getting what you want are not necessarily the same thing. You see, Bartimaeus stood there in all of his vulnerability, all of his neediness, with desire all over his face. And he simply says, I want to see. What is it that you want? And I believe that when you can honestly admit what you want, in the presence of Jesus, it does something. It does something within you. It frees you. It opens you up. It allows Jesus to respond to you. And even if he responds not the way you want, I believe it helps you more readily accept things that don't work out. Because at least you've named it. You've brought it before Jesus. You've articulated it. See, cultivating the practice of doing the next right thing requires a stillness. It requires the hard work of choosing your absence so that you can be present to where it matters most. And it requires naming our wants and desires before Jesus. For me this week, this isn't a super deep vulnerability. It's just a surface want that I, I had. But when I truthfully answered that question, I was like, I want to meet together with our church family. I want to be together. And then I decided to go for a walk. And I was walking by St. Matthew's. And 
praying for our community and it hit me. In, invite the church family along. I'm like, what? Along on my walk? Yeah. And I thought, yeah, what a great idea. And I texted a few people and I thought, hey, am I just crazy or is this a somewhat okay idea? And they said, yeah, I'd be up for that. So on Wednesday, beside St. Matt's at 5.15 p.m., we're going to meet together and we're going to walk through our community and pray for one another and pray for our community. And I'm so excited for this. But Jesus is asking you, what do you want? Take some time tonight or this week to think about that. To truly think about if you could have your deepest longings or desires fulfilled, what is it? Name it. And then secondly, what's keeping you from being still? I know several of the answers right off the bat because I'm living through it as well. But how could you create some space to be still this week? Or how could you at least create some space to, for an inner stillness this week? And this next exercise comes from Emily P. Freeman. And she says, close your eyes and imagine God. What is the first thing you see? Are there colors, shapes, outlines? Do you see a face, a hand, the curve of a shoulder? What emotions rise up in you, if any? What is the look on his face? What about yours? Take some time to consider what you've come to believe about God. Then read Psalm 46 and see if your friend Jesus has anything to say to you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be where we are and help us to be still. Meet us in our weaknesses, in our smallness, in our exhaustion, our insecurity, and even our questions. God, as we move forward in the midst of where we are, help us to believe you, even though we can't see you. May we simply, quietly, be still and know that you are God. Even though we may be busy on the outside, don't let hurry overwhelm us on the inside. Remind us to keep in step with you. Let your peace rule within us. Quiet us in the midst of chaos. Help us to put our trust in you as we name those unnamed things, our desires, our hopes, our dreams and longings that may have remained within us for years. God, we bring them before you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen.